believe, I want to believe that some of the time things are going to go the way that I want them to work out. Like things are actually going to work the way that I want them uh, to work out. Or even I would take that things uh, should work out the way that, that they, sh- you know, I want them to work out the way that they should. Now, often that is like more so on me, the way that I want them to work it out. But the more I get into life and the more now that I have kiddos and now some foster kiddos and, and, uh, and, and I've come to realize just how unpredictable life uh, can be. How I want to believe that things will go a certain way or happen a certain way or not happen a certain way uh, has become more of a reality for me, right? Uh, some of the things should happen that don't, but that do. Uh, and, and, and so if you saw my post this week on Facebook, uh, I posted what is the most unpredictable thing in your life where you, th- where, uh, you think Something should happen a certain way, but it doesn't. And so I got quite a, quite a few responses on that. And I warned everybody after they responded that I would use their examples in my sermon. So that way people were more willing to share. But to lead that charge was kids. Just, I mean, people just, normal people just put kids as, uh, as their response to that. Um, there was a healthy nod to parenting. Uh, parenting, and I think that that kind of goes right along with kids. There was an amen to middle schoolers and teenagers, uh, and them being a, being very unpredictable, uh, which actually really scares me because I have a few kids of my own, and they haven't hit that teen. They act like they're in the teenage years, but they haven't hit those years yet. So I have a lot of teenage years left. So that scares me a little bit. Um, but uh, there was a, there was a lot of posts about health. Our health is unpredictable. Some of you maybe can relate to that. Life in general is unpredictable. Um, doesn't always go the way it plans. It's planned. Relationships and, and marriage can be unpredictable. Uh, career and work, a lot of people said. Uh, some actually saying that they went to school for one thing and ended up in like a total, like went to school for uh, accounting and ended up in IT. You know, it's just like, really? And so there's a big gap there, uh, which, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I, for me to be standing up here and for us to be gathered around in this church is very unpredictable to me. I was a forklift driver for the majority of my adult life and got called out of that. And so uh, another one was finances. So finances are pretty big and unpredictable. But I'll tell you what, you guys have no excuses for that because we offer financial peace if you haven't heard about that, talk to Dan and Susie. No, I'm just kidding. He's the, man, it's crazy how this class has taken off. But uh, honestly, if finances are a problem, uh, there are skills and uh, resources available that we offer on a very regular basis to help you out with that. Side note, side commercial. We'll break from that. And now we'll go back to the main thing. All right. So, but I want to believe, I want to believe in the future, right? Uh, but the future here on earth seems so un predictable, okay? And what we've been doing over these last three weeks as we've walked through uh, the beginning parts of the Apostles' Creed, we're going to do it again today, uh, but we've been stating and looking into what we believe foundationally as a church. Not that 
the Apostles' Creed is at the foundation. It is scripture that is at the foundation of it all. But we've been stating uh, uh, what we believe by reciting together the Apostles' Creed. Now, today is no different. We're going to do it again. Uh, but in, in stating and in standing and saying these are the things we believe, we're also, as you've heard me say in the weeks prior, we're also opposing, standing and opposing the things that oppose what we believe. Does that make sense? Opposing the opposed? All right, good. Okay, good. Just making sure that makes sense. Uh, so today is no different. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to stand in and say the Apostles' Creed. And so everybody can stand up here. Uh, and uh, again, I want to remind you that this is just articulating uh, words that describe the truth that's in the Bible. All right. And again, also, this is when we uh, remembering that uh, it's not that we believe or preaching the Apostles' Creed, but that we're actually believing in and stating the truth of Scripture. Remember also that uh, when we say Holy Catholic Church, that I'm not running, not going on a run for the Pope. That this actually is the universal church. This is the idea of what, why they state Catholic church. It means the universal church. And then also remembering, I haven't said this before. This is a safe place. Uh, so if you don't want to stand, even though everybody's already standing, you don't have to stand. And if you don't want to recite it, you do not have to recite it. Uh, you can stand and blend in and mouth it and not say it. I mean, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God or what you believe, but this is, there's nothing magical about this. There's nothing that when you state this, your life totally changes. This is just us standing together and stating a claim of what we believe as a church. All right, so let's go ahead and start it. So the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right. So as I've stated, as I stated those first couple weeks... Uh, in our series, we looked at the idea of what it means to stand and say, I believe in something, as opposed to what it means to say, I know something. Um, and that was the first couple weeks. This week is a little different in when we stand and say that we believe in something. Uh, because what we're going to be looking at today, uh, there's a different explanation that goes into believing it. All right. And we're going to look at it. And so today we're going to look at the idea of judgment. And really, honestly, uh, at 10 o'clock, I wanted to go back through my Facebook and look and see if I posted on that I was going to talk about judgment, and maybe that's why a lot less people showed up. But uh, nonetheless, you guys are here for a reason, and I'm not judging you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, we looked at this idea of, uh, of, of saying, I believe, uh, and, and, and in doing that, in our study of the Apostles' Creed, we've really looked back at things that have happened. We've looked back at, uh, at, at different aspects of the creed that have already happened, right? So um, saying, I believe uh, that the God the Father Almighty has already created. And we looked at God the Father, right? 
Christ has already been conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's already been born of the Virgin Mary. He's already suffered under Pontius Pilate. He's already been crucified and buried as we looked at those things in these uh, earlier weeks. All right. And so uh, today, as we look at this, this, and he will come to judge the living and the dead, or if you're more of a King James guy, it's frometh the hinseth of thou shalt come. All right. If you've got your King James, that's how it is in there, something like that. But the idea of will come or shall come uh, are things that haven't happened yet. So in looking over the entire Apostles' Creed, this is really it when it comes to the idea of believing in something that hasn't happened yet. Okay, So as we look at this today, we've got to know and understand that uh, to believe that he will come to judge the living and the dead is believing in something that is yet to come. All right, and as we've already kind of established today, uh, where we are at right now, what is to come, what is the future, for the most part, what I come to understand about this is it's very unpredictable. And so when it comes to believing in something that's going to come, I have a hard time because of how unpredictable things are in my life of what is to come or how it's going to turn out. And I believe that there's kind of two common approaches to uh, believing in this idea of what is to come in our lives, right? The idea of the future and what is to come. The first is uh, everything that is to happen in the future is predetermined, inevitable, and unavoidable. So that's a pretty common understanding of future, right? Everything is predetermined. uh, It's all going to happen. It's kind of unavoidable that we don't really have much say in it. All right, and so uh, as Christians uh, and as a church, we believe yet, yet, that yes, the Lord is sovereign and that He wants us to operate under His plan. Uh, but we would also confess that there is actually a responsibility for us uh, and that He's given to us, in which that He asks us to do matters here on earth, right? So it's not predetermined that there's actually a responsibility that we have as believers to live life in a certain way. So we'll put that aside. Now, the second common practice is the pursuit of pleasure or self-indulgence or kind of like just the best life. I just want to go after the best life I can. Uh, And this is an idea that is composed of just trying to get the most pleasure possible and avoid the most pain in my life. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to just have everything work out and have everything fall into place, and I'm going to avoid all danger, all pain, and everything uh, in order to just obtain the most pleasure uh, in life. Life is best if I can maximize that pleasure, and that's a ruling standard of how I should live my life, all right? So that's a thing. So the more pleasure I get, the better life is, is kind of that uh, idea, all right? And so uh, with that... uh, we would push back in a couple different places as believers in that. We would say, well, we know if you, I mean, if you live in this culture and the way things move in this world today, you know that pleasure runs out pretty fast, right? You know that whatever it is that you think you need right now to make your life better, six months from now, it's, it means a lot less, right? Six what? Six hours later, right? So six months later, whatever it is that you wanted, that you aspired for, that you thought was going to make your life better is often in a box, in a drawer, pushed aside, put back in a bag to give away. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how fast things 
work, right? It's lost, they've, it's lost its luster, whether that is material items or even just new ideas and new plans and moving so fast and the next newest and greatest thing comes out. All right. And then we'd also uh, push back. I'd like to push back in this, and, and, and hopefully you can relate to this. Uh, if not, you can take it with you, is that we would push back that avoiding suffering is not necessarily the best way to live your life, right? Oftentimes, for me, and maybe you can relate to this, the greatest joy and the greatest growth I've had is when the Lord matures me through something that I'm suffering in. That in suffering, you can, that's a weird word, but you can define it, you know, it matures me through something that I'm really working through, right? He works through it with me, all right? The most growth, I would, I would ask you, the most growth in your life, has it ever come from being lazy and sitting back and it just falling into your lap? Like some great stuff might come that way, winning the lotto or like being given this amazing gift. Like some of that stuff might come that way. But for the most part, the most growth and the most meaning in your life doesn't come from sitting back, being lazy and having something just kind of fall into, uh, into your, uh, your presence, right? So my guess that is that uh, if you take a look back into your life, uh, the areas of your life where you've had the most growth and the most overcoming are areas that you've persevered through something that was tough. And you've come out the other end, or maybe you haven't even come out the other end. Maybe you're still kind of working through it, but you can look back at where you were at the beginning and go, man, I've come a long ways. And if you look back over your life and you look at those areas, those are the areas that uh, we see the most growth. So with those two in mind, I think if we're honest with ourselves when it comes to uh, putting our hope in something uh, and being excited about something that is to come, judgment's probably not at the top of any of our lists, right? Like we're not like sitting there going, man, I'd just really love to be judged today. And I'd really love to people to look at and examine the way I live my life, right? So judgment is not really attractive to us. Being judged isn't fun. My wife experienced it in a situation this week, and she came home and was like, I couldn't believe that that was what was on their mind, and they were judging her. And, and, and so unless, and I'm not going to make you raise your hand, how many of you think you're just nailing it at life? Like you just want, you're like, man, I'm killing it. I want to be judged. Judge me on my life right where it's at right now. Just me? No, I'm just kidding. I would not put myself, whoa. I would not put myself in that boat, right? So this is what, and, and, and to be honest with you, like when I, when I started to think about judgment uh, and, and people's judgment, I, I, it, it didn't help that, you know, I mean, and it happens if you're a part of social media, you know that there's so much judgment out there these days, right? And in working through this this week, I got angry at a lot of people that were posting things on Facebook, not not you guys that are here, because you guys are all saints. We've already established that. But uh, you don't have to scroll very far through Facebook to see people's judgments being pushed onto other people, right? And people making these statements of who, what they did, and who, what should happen, and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, man, I'm going to bring the thunder on Sunday. I'm going to do like all caps judgment. And we're going to talk about, if, you, if you're judging other people, it's on you because you're going to be, what if you were judged at this equal to what you're judging other people with? And I was going to, I was going to bring it. Like, I was, getting, whew, I was getting hot, right? 
And then, then uh, I talked to a friend of mine, and this friend of mine kind of took me up, spun me around, and sent me down this whole different path that just totally changed my view on judgment. I was actually kind of, in, in the back of my mind, dreading the idea of talking about judgment and what you guys would feel for me standing up here talking to you about judgment. And a friend of mine really kind of set me on a totally different path. So I got this complete new understanding on like Monday afternoon of what judgment was. And so now, because it's new to me, I get to teach it to you so that I can reinforce it in my life. If you ever want to learn something, learn it and then teach it to somebody else. It's a great step in really learning, uh, learning what, what it is that you want in your life. So here's my new understanding of judgment. And this is something that kind of overarching, all right? Believing in judgment is believing in a better life, okay? And I hope, I hope that rings true by the end of the Sunday. So believing in judgment is believing in a better life, all right? That what we face here on earth, what we're going through, what's God calling us to is not separate from, but in the midst of judgment brings a better life for us. All right. So Luke 6, uh, we've got uh, this idea and it, and it kind of bases a little bit on the temporary rewards that we, that we already talked about uh, as opposed to what God has for us. So uh, Luke's, if you don't have a Bible, there's a couple Bible, there's Bibles in the back, you can grab them. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you. Uh, but a lot of the verses will be up on the screen, but I'm just gonna read through this. And so, so Luke uh, 6, 20 through 26 says, look at his, Jesus looked at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who Weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when, you exclu- when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That does not, is not an attractive list. All right, but rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you already have received your comfort. Woe to you who are uh, well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. I like that second half of the list. I actually want wealth, food, laughter, right? But what's contrasting here is a contrast between the two in putting our faith in thinking that uh, what we want to aspire for is that that stuff rather than uh, Christ, rather than a life that he's called us to. So we'll keep that uh, going there. And so, and then in, right, in the, right in the middle of that verse, it says in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And, 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 and to contrast this idea of what I was going to talk about in, in judgment uh, this week, this idea of, uh, of judgment being something that is, is really negative and something that we don't want, like we would hate, we would love to avoid God's judgment. Uh, countering that is our God, dis- and so the idea of that is like punishment, right? It's really easy for us to, to think of judgment and think, oh, we're going to be punished 
Like the judge is going to punish us for whatever it may be. And hopefully we'll, we'll kind of work through that this, today. But our God dislikes punishment and is eager to reward. Okay? This is one of the things that just kind of blew my mind this week when I was looking at judgment and I was looking at how, how God works in the new covenant with what he's calling his believers to since, you know, we've studied Acts uh, this last year. And so now we're this new church that's uh, doing this. And, and, and all throughout scripture, God talks about reward for those who place their faith and trust in him. All right. Uh, not, and, and I'm not talking about uh, those that we would go out and do amazing work and we'd be rewarded for it, right? I'm not landing on the idea of prosperity gospel, right? We're not the idea of, of, of um, we do the work and then God rewards us for the work that we've done. This is, this is something different than that. Right? But all throughout Scripture, God talks about reward. And the, and, and the idea comes from placing their faith and trust in Jesus. That's where these rewards come from. The placing their faith and trust and having a healthy fear. And, and those that trust and those that return to that trust. Right? Uh, all throughout Scripture. And so I went through, and you can see in your bulletin, there's like, I don't know, 10 or so different sections of Scripture that are listed under that blank. And so I went through and just grabbed, I mean, it was quick. I grabbed just a whole bunch of them, right? The giving of talents, right? Those that, that, we, uh, that we're given uh, in the parable that they're given talents and what they do with them, they're rewarded on based on what they do with them, Right? Not really punished in those. The widow's offering. The, the widow offers up all that she has. And, 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 they, and in that moment, Jesus says, well, great is her reward. It's not that she was, spoke anything of what she did in the past or punishment, but only out of what she did uh, in, in offering that. I love the parable building your house on sand and rock. Right? I love the fact that Jesus teaches that where there's a, a, a palace behind him that's built on the sand that's just in wreckage. And he talks about building your house on the rock, focusing on what is right. All right? Matthew 5, uh, 3 through 12, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, the, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it goes through, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure at heart, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And then in verse 12 it says, and I was only doing the front half of those, but rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Again, about reward, right? In Matthew chapter 6 alone, it talks about giving to the needy, it talks about praying, it talks about fasting, it talks about storing up your treasures in heaven, uh, and it talks about investing and trusting in Christ. But in each of those things, Matthew 6, 4, 6, 6, 6, 18, and 6, 20, it says, for what you do in secret, the Lord, God will reward you. So it's not that we're out there going, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm doing for that reward. It's out of our hearts that we do it because we're not seeking the recognition of it. Right? Matthew uh, 25, 10 with the kids this morning, I shared the idea of, of, um, of, the, ten, of the ten virgins. And you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm actually just going to read this because it's pretty cool. Um, the parable of the ten virgins uh, it says this. 
Uh, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out and met the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived the virgins who were uh, ready went with them uh, in the wedding uh, banquet, and the doors were shut. Later, the others came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you, uh, you do not know the day or the hour. So the idea of being prepared for the kingdom of heaven, Right? being uh, rewarded for our preparedness, being rewarded for, uh, for uh, preparing for what Christ is bringing for us. And then in Matthew six twenty seven, it says, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Pretty clear there. I love the parable of the rich young ruler. If you don't know that story, there's a rich young ruler. He's come to Jesus and he says, uh, how do I get eternal life? And uh, the rich young ruler, you know, says, well, follow the Ten Commandments. And, and he says, well, I've done that. He, and he said, well, then Jesus says, well, sell off everything that you own. And, uh, and the rich young ruler walks away dejected, walks away sad because he knows that he can't do that. Now, in that parable, there's nothing that speaks of punishment for the life that he lived, or anything like that. But what's alluded to in that parable is the reward of gaining eternal life, gaining the kingdom of heaven and what you give for that. The story of the prodigal son, right? I mean, we probably all, if you go to church or if you don't go to church, you probably know the story of the prodigal son. This is the son who goes away from the father and comes back, right? And when he comes back, the father judges him mightily for what he's done while he's away, right? No. The father welcomes him back, clothes him with new clothes, and says, welcome home. Right? At no point does he focus on what has happened, only on what his reward will be, welcome back into the family. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, or he's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Right? God's judgment is a reward. Our God, like we stated earlier, dislikes the punishment side of things and is very patient with us and wants to reward us for putting our faith and trust in him. 
And Revelation I love because in Revelation is what is to come, like what we state in this Apostles' Creed, what is to come. Revelations twenty two twelve says, look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And so in my studying of what judgment really was and what I wanted for us to walk away with this morning, uh, I came to really kind of two words that kind of juxtapose each other. But when it comes to our God and when it comes to judgment, they're very common words for us to use and, and have uh, or, or get to in our, uh, in our thinking about this. At least for me, I came to this. But what I want us to know is that God's judgment for us is merciful and just. Right? All throughout Scripture, uh, Scripture talks about the mercy of God. We sang about it this morning, right? And also, uh, for us, we really want, and oftentimes, we really want to see justice, right? We want to see justice come. So I took those two words and kind of plugged them in the uh, narrative of, of, of Scripture, what Scripture tells us about both mercy and justice. And I thought, man, if we got a better grasp of those two words, we would understand um, we would understand judgment better. At least for me, I understood it better. So uh, here's what mercy is. Mercy is a reward we don't deserve. Okay? So the idea of mercy, I think I talked about it a couple years ago. The idea is mercy is, uh, is not giving us what we deserve in life. And God, that's, that's God. He does not give us what we deserve, right? Right there it says, not wanting anyone to perish, uh, God is merciful. God is mercy. In our sin, in our rebellion against him, in our uh, ability to oftentimes fall short, our frequency of messing up, and oftentimes being selfish, maybe that's just my list, I don't know if you relate to it, but God entered into a relationship with us through his son so that we may be reconciled to him eternally. Church, here's the truth, and we've discussed it numerous times. There is no mercy if we don't deserve punishment. But our God is merciful and not quick to punish. He is patient and loving and willing to allow us to come to reconciliation and redemption in him. The examples we have before us, uh, oftentimes, uh, the fact is, is that it displays opposite with those examples we have. He teaches and acts more on the side of mercy through rewarding our faith uh, to return, repent, and rely on him way more than he does anything to do with punishment. But yet, how easy for us, for, is it for us to to have God's judgment be on our mind and think we're going to be punished for it, for what we don't do, and have that be the motivation and the driver behind it. So that leads us to, well, then how is God just? How is uh, the justice of God played out? God's justice is not his punishment for us. Justice, here it is. This was like my, so I usually get one profound thought a week. 
I try to work it into my message, and this is it. So this is, this is it. Justice is wrongs made right, not wrongs being punished. Justice is wrongs made right, not wrongs being punished. Instead, uh, instead, he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So when we go after justice, uh, so like let's bring up those social media posts again, or the way that people just broadcast everything on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in those, our desire is to see uh, the wrong that has happened and to see what the result of that is, to see the punishment played out or something to happen because of that wrong. And usually for us, it's piling on and, and jumping on a side and, 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 and actually uh, wanting to see punishment in those things. All right? Uh, and the way, that's how kind of we have a bent to dealing with judgment. So justice, in that case, is seeing the act of punishment for something that has happened. Okay? For what we, for what we have seen here, uh, the wrongs that we have seen, and we, we want to see a result of that. We want to see a loss. We want to see, uh, you know, the idea of jumping on the bandwagon with that. But, ju- but God's just, justice does not line up that way from what I see. God's justice does not line up with the idea of, punishment and seeing a result of punishment. So I like it to like this. So uh, raise your hand if you've been hurt in life. Okay, good. We can all relate to the part of this then, at least the first half of it. So we've all been hurt by somebody in life. Something's happened. Uh, and I would say, I don't know, if we put a percentage of half the time when somebody hurts us, we want to see something happen to them, right? I mean, maybe even if it's family, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Okay, so uh, when, when something happens to us, that hurt, that pain, we want, we even sometimes wish judgment or hurt and pain on somebody else, okay? So, uh, but what's different, what, uh, what I've come to really realize this week about God's justice is that uh, in that situation, uh, the wrong is made right in my life but also in the life of the person that's hit, hurt me. So if somebody's done something bad to somebody, God's justice, my justice is oftentimes, well, I want it to be made right for me, and I want to see how they got in trouble for what they did. Our kids operate this way, fairness at school. Oftentimes is a story with my kids. Well, you know, they did that, and then the teacher didn't do anything about it. No, well, the teacher probably worked with them about maybe changing their behavior and all that kind of stuff. So God's justice and, and kind of what we need to kind of adapt in our lives is so wrong has happened. I want to see, God wants to see that wrong made right in our lives, but also in the lives of the offenders so that none will perish. Not like just the good people won't perish and then like there's a small crowd of people that here, they should perish. Right? That's not what it says in the Bible. That none shall perish. That they will all, and so justice for God is wrongs made right in our lives and wrongs made right in the other people's lives. And then that's the tough thing because then we have to be, usually God is going to use us as a part of this too. Like he'll work with us over here in ours and hopefully we can come to that realization, but 
sorry, but you probably adapted yourself to be a part of this reconciliation too. In, in some cases, that's not the case. God's going to use other people too, okay? And in and, and, and doing that, instantly God's justice becomes eternal. It's not just temporary here on earth. That eternally we are right with God and internally they are right with God too. That none will perish. Not wanting anyone to perish and everyone to come to repentance. God wants our hearts to be like his, full of mercy and full of justice. For both. Right? God's judgment is for you, not against you. Right? That's, that's the truth. God is for you, believer. God is for you, non-believer, figuring it out. He is for your eternal being and bringing mercy and justice in your life. Amen? Let's pray.